Welcome to the Moving Forward Podcast. This is your host, Corey Cottrell. And of course, we got my very good buddy and co-host, Rio Verdinier. Hey, guys. Uh, today's a big one. We got uh, Mike Breuer on, who is uh, running in the Democratic primary for uh, Senate seat in Kentucky. Uh, for uh, those of you who don't know, I'm sure most of you do, uh, that is McConnell's seat. So, yay. And also, you know, it, 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 it would appear, and Mike, I can't wait to ask you about this, uh, that, uh, you know, Scott Sands is one of your uh, policy advisors now, which is really awesome. You know, we've, we've talked to him a couple of times. We're huge fans. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, apparently have some, uh, uh, some Yang staffers that, uh, you know, wanted to find, uh, uh, another, another awesome project. So, I mean, that speaks highly, uh, I think right off the bat, but if you could, Mike, please kind of introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about, uh, about yourself, um, and how you got into this race, uh, uh you know, and, and, you know, why Scott Sands is on your team. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> a lot of questions there. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I, I'll, I'll see if I can parse Tell us well, everything. Well, <laughs> give me a gut spill. Okay. Right. So, uh, right now, uh, my wife and I are farmers in Kentucky. Uh, but before we were farmers, um, we we're both active duty Marines. We we're both retired Marines and uh, kind of came to farming uh, uh, just the way we got into the Senate race. We said, okay, we're going to do this. And then we just started. So uh, but I, I went to Rutgers College, graduated from Rutgers, and while I was there, I uh, joined the Marine Corps back in 1981 and did training in the summertime, then finally went on active duty in 84 and was on active duty for the next 21 plus years. Um, I started in the field artillery, stationed in Japan, Korea um, for the first year and a half, and then uh, was afloat in Mediterranean with a, a special operations capable expeditionary group for six months. And, Went out to 29 Palms, California in the high desert and had a couple of artillery batteries out there and then went to Somalia in 92-93 as a provisional rifle company commander. And that was exciting. Um, and then uh, the Marine Corps sent me to grad school, which was nice. Thank you, taxpayers. And uh, ended up my last two tours. I was in Korea from 2000-2002 as the Marine Corps' lead war planner, uh, working every day with our allies and our good friends, the, 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 the ROCs. And um, then I taught my last three years at UC Berkeley, um, where I met my wife, who was working out there as a recruiter. And uh, we, you know, compared record collections and books and decided we both liked farming, we're both interested in farming, specifically sustainable agriculture. So uh, we kind of made the leap. And from California, bought a 75-acre farm in Kentucky and just started farming. Um, and so for 15 years, we've been kind of minding our own business. We did some other stuff. I was a reporter and editor from our local newspaper here for five years. And uh, my wife is involved in public health. She's a preparedness planner. Uh, so those plans she wrote 12 years ago for uh, pandemic flu, hopefully the binders are still on somebody's shelf and they're dusting them off on how to deal with pandemic flu in rural communities. And uh, she subsequently did a tour in Afghanistan, 2009, 2010, and came back and said, you know, dude, it's the crazy place you have to go. So I got a job there for years as a defense contractor, and subsequently our son went as well. So we're 100% on Afghanistan as a family. But uh, so how do we how do we get involved with this race um, as as career military officers? You know, you swear both to protect and defend the Constitution. We take that very seriously. And we also take the concept of leadership very seriously. That we are when you're in charge, you're responsible for everything that happens or doesn't happen. And uh, looking at what's happened in the last three years, um, you know, I think Donald Trump is a symptom. Uh, Mitch McConnell, people like him are the cause. And as a Kentuckian, 
I felt kind of uniquely positioned to, to you know, knock them out because it's good for the Republic and it's good for the Commonwealth. And that's why I decided to do it. And then last question was Scott Santons. Uh, well, it's we're, like, we're, we're a very pro UBI podcast, right? So that Scott Santons is sort of that, 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 that uh, uh, kind of leading edge to it. Um, but yeah, like, you know, what is, what is adopting UBI look like? You know, why, why did that happen and how, how would it affect Kentucky? Um, well, it happened, and I, I, you know, I've been saying I backed into it because I did. My policy has been, uh, you know, since July, uh, you know, uh, for social and economic justice for everybody. And uh, my son became a Yang supporter, the first candidate, he, you know, his own candidate. And, uh, you know, we talked about it, and he just liked the way Andrew um, valued life and valued work, all kinds of work not just punching the clock, but volunteering, raising your children, uh, caring for a sick relative, whatever it is people do, that there's, there's intrinsic value to it. And so, uh, so when I, you know, I started going down this path of economic and social justice and realized that they're, they're just completely linked. I thought there were two discrete things and they're not. Uh, they're, you know, they, they're, they're so closely linked that they're almost one thing, but UBI, uh, what appealed to me about UBI was the fact that it offers respect for work and respect for life and the value of everybody and how they contribute to the community. And so I have to say, uh, when I, when I was contacted by the, the young people and they got me in touch with Scott and, uh, you know, I did my research before talking to him cause I didn't want to appear like a knucklehead. Right. Uh, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, he walked me through it and, and, uh, my, my problem is I want to look at UBI as a Swiss army knife, you know, the solution to every problem, but um, in Kentucky, um, where you know our economy is so far behind, I mean we're I think we're seventh worst in the nation. We have double the number of people working at the minimum wage as the rest of the, as the national average. Wow! And we're about last in everything else. Uh, you know, cancer, diabetes, uh, and child abuse were worse than nation child abuse. And just last week, I was out in Pike County in far eastern Kentucky. And I was working with another candidate out there, and he, he told me that we have the highest uh, homelessness rate in the country, which I had a hard time believing. So, of course, I, I Googled it, and son of a gun, if we don't have the worst child homelessness rate in the nation. And so, wow. so UBI, um, and, and not just rural, but for, for our, we have tons of urban problems, too. And so UBI is a good solution to economically and socially bring justice to everybody in Kentucky. That's why I support it. Yeah, that that is such a huge thing. I, I I just moved down to Miami, but I spent a lot of time in Pasco County, and Pasco County has like the second largest by uh, a number of homeless people in Florida, um, and not even the highest population. Right? It's just it's an unbelievably insane problem. Um, and yeah, I mean, there there a lot of people don't want to look at UBI as a panacea, and I get that. However, right it automatically starts to go at the root causes of, uh, of these problems. And my, my personal thing uh, is I always want to see, you know, just what's going to move the needle. What's going to move the needle right now for the most people, you know, uh, the easiest, right? Like what, what's the, the, the bottom line for that? And it always comes down to, to, you know, uh, UBI. Because like, let's say you want to, you know, 
come up with some newfangled uh, uh, version of welfare or Kamala Harris's 500 bucks for working families. All of that ignores homeless people. All of that ignores the working poor. All of that, you know, like just, it, it, it's not going to affect the people that, that, that really need it. And even, you know, some, I'm the kind of the progressive guy on the show, right? There's so many people on the left now that I used to spend a lot of time listening to that are talking about, you know, the fact that, you know, it's a Trojan horse for, uh, uh, you know, for capitalism, which is a, dumb line anyway but they're defending the idea that what we really need is better welfare welfare that helps 30 percent of people that it should be helping anyway right it just it it it, it's it's almost it's just it's weird seeing people uh uh, you know so attached to old ideas so what do you think is the main impediment to having our fellow democrats really get on board with uh this new idea and this new way of thinking well, you know, usually it's how I have to I'll tell you, Corey, usually the question is, how do you get Republicans on board? Um, yeah, I mean, that should be the question, right? It should be obvious right. for Democrats. I've been like, I've been yelling about this for a year because the whole idea that any Democrat wouldn't look at all the information that I looked at and not immediately go, yeah, obviously we have to do this. So, yeah, sorry. No, no, but it's great. I'll tell you one great thing about doing um, when I go out on the road and do, you know, meet and greets and stuff like that. I always yeah. do Q&A um, and I love it because it keeps you sharp. And it exposes things that you, you just, ha- you know, you try to think of everything. But, uh, I mean, there's not a day goes someone doesn't ask me a, a stumper. But, so that's great. I mean, how do you bring Democrats on? Well, hopefully they believe in science. Hopefully they believe in math. And hopefully, you know, you can just, con- you can show them the math and say, A, this is affordable, and B, it works. And ultimately, I mean, I hate to use the tool I use on uh, my Republican friends, but, you know, is it better to inject money at the bottom of the economy or at the top? You know, do we subsidize industries? Do we give big tax breaks to industries? Or do, we take, do, or do we take that money and we inject it in local communities? And Kentucky being largely rural, but with some very, um, some several urban areas that have got, you know, typical poverty, problems of poverty, drug abuse, access to healthcare, access to transportation um, that we have in, in, the, in the rural parts of Kentucky, it kind of cuts all the way across the state. And that's why I like it because you know, people say, well, just yesterday, a lady said, what are you going to do Jefferson, for Jefferson County, which is Louisville? And I said, I'm not going to do anything for Jefferson County. I'm not going to go around cutting deals with every single community in Kentucky. I, I see this, uh, particularly UBI, but uh, economic and social justice um, as cutting all the way across Kentucky. And it's the people at the bottom who have the least who see the most proportional increase in their quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. Rio, you want to jump in? <laughs> Yeah, Mike, I I like what you said about how getting McConnell out would be good for the Republican Party. I'm an ex-Republican who left the Republican Party because of Donald Trump um, and the way that the Republicans have shamefully defended him while he continues to piss all over our Constitution in a way that I wouldn't have thought that my party would, would have tolerated, frankly. I'm absolutely gobsmacked at it. Um, so I, I think, thank you, first of all, for trying to help unseat McConnell. I, I, I think it would be, in your words, good for the Republicans. I think that for that party to come back to its small government, classically liberal center, it needs to first win, learn the lesson that the, the current fascist totalitarian direction that they're headed is not going to win long term. They need to lose and they need to lose big for their own good. Yeah, I, 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 I got to tell you, it's uh, just before we started talking, I was uh, talking to, to Tom here and Tom Jeffrey here, and 
I, I said almost the exact same thing to him was that I never thought we would have um, such a craven bunch of yes men have risen to the top of government. And you know, when, when Trump got elected, I was uh, one of those suckers for the uh, adult in the room conversation. You know, the, well, you got Kelly, you got Mattis, you know, and all these guys are gonna keep things on track, but they're all gone. And, um, you know, we end up with a Bill Barr. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not happening. It's not going to continue. Uh, what Rick Wilson predicted is 100% coming true. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I mean, he's destroying, he's destroying the Republican party. He really is that for short-term gains, the brand is going to be absolutely demolished. Um, well, and what was left of it, right? Cause McConnell hasn't, you know, exactly been doing wonders. <laughs> well, I'm not going to go down that road. That's fine. <laughs> Okay. Um, but as far as, uh, um, Mike, you said convincing Republicans is, is the tricky part. I, it's funny because I, I think that we are most sensitive to convincing people on our own side. And I mean, I'm still, I still consider myself a conservative. I'm just registered as a Democrat to make sure that the Democrats don't lose their minds the way the Republicans did. I think it's really important to the country that we have at least one party that stays, stays sane and centrist and moderate and in the sense of not you know being too radical not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. there are a lot of good things about our society that are worth preserving like democracy for example and capitalism and the rule of law these Separation are basic powers checks and yeah exactly all that. These, are like crazy stuff. <laughs> these are things that we used to take for granted in america and that some people unfortunately still are but we need to wake up to the fact that like this is a, a moment in history that we're living through right now and, and we, we need to be on the right side of it I have a buddy of mine who teaches school in, in Chicago and a friend from high school and he teaches history and civics and stuff like that. And he called me almost despairing and he said, how do I teach civics? Do I have to teach civics as part of history? Because I used to talk about, you know, checks and balances, separation of power, rule of law. And he said, now I, you know, what do I tell the kids? And I, you know, I was like, man, Tell them to be good consumers of information. I don't know what you can do to, to prepare the kids for the world they, they live in now. So. Yeah, well, you can tell them that fake news is when the news is not true, not when the president doesn't like it. Right. Well, I think <laughs> right. for I think, one thing. <laughs> I think, Rio, you started asking me about talking to conservatives or talking to Republicans. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there's actually more registered Democrats than Republicans in Kentucky. Interesting. Um, which is hard to Did not know that. Yeah, uh, but went overly, overwhelmingly for Donald Trump. And, uh, mm -hmm. But, but I, I was a newspaper editor for three years and, you know, every, every week almost, so over, well over a hundred op-eds, editorials, you know, I would try to get my kind of progressive ideas into our very religious, very conservative community. And uh, so you, you learn over time um, the best way to do it, which is with patience and with facts and uh, without judging too, because, you know, you don't want to turn people off. And of course, the, when, when you feel you're right about something, you're, you're ready to pound the table, but uh, it doesn't work. And so over the years, uh, I learned that uh, you had to, and also I tell you, working with your allies, uh, sitting side by side with uh, mil, you know, officers, leaders from foreign countries every single day, uh, you learn to appreciate their capabilities, their values, and, uh, you know, how, how things have to get done in other um, in other social and uh, governmental situations. And, and you learn a great deal of patience. Yeah. But I think time, that being said, 
I think the old talk is the clock is ticking here. Um, we might be able to handle four years of Donald Trump, but I don't think we can handle four years of Trump and Mitch McConnell. I don't think the Republic will stand. Yeah, I think I think you're right. There there isn't anything that he's not going to enable. I mean that you know, it, it, it's uh, well, and even even if even if we win, right? Like if we if we win the White House and and don't win the Senate, um, getting you know. I mean, McConnell will just say, well, no, there's not a Republican president, so no new Supreme Court justice, right, for four years. Right. Who knows, right? Like, you might, you know, if he could do a year and a half, why not four? Why not just throw everything out? Right. If you can do, right, if you can do it for 14 months, why can't you do it for right. what's, what's So, the- Mike, w- w- can we speculate a little bit about the voters in Kentucky? I'm sure you've probably been um, advised not to do that. <laughs> so... I don't want to get you in trouble, so feel free to plead. Feel free to plead the fifth. <laughs> no, and excuse me. In which sense, speculate? Well, what I'm wondering is if 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 there are more registered Democrats than Republicans, why do you think the state went so heavily for Trump? And is that going to be an uphill battle for you? Well, I think um, I think that they I think that they he appealed to what he appealed to people all around the country, and you know, and particularly in the swing states, you know in Michigan and places like that. I think that they, they like the bold talk. They like the, you know, love America, you know, love the tough guy stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's really, really, I, and I don't feel, you know, any uh, kind of reluctance to speculate, you know, people like the way he talked and the way he acted, but I think, um, okay, now it's three and a half years later. It's, you know, <laughs> they're starting to see it's not working out so well. And uh, I just kind of want to get back to the, you know, we're talking about uh, judges of the Supreme Court, but it's not just Supreme Court, it's the federal benches. Yep. And uh, McConnell was here in Kentucky, you know, less than a year ago talking to a group of his donors. And he told them, I am changing America forever. And he, you know, one of the few times I caught him telling me the truth, he actually meant it. He is changing America forever. We put over 140 judges on federal benches with lifetime appointments. And even if we flip the Senate, keep the house, flip the White House, we still have those judges who, you know, I mean, a lot of them, the APA said were just unqualified and yeah. with us forever. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. That, that was the, the, the one thing that the, like just the sheer lack of qualification. Um, I mean, the, uh, the, the bar, you know, all the, all the, the sort of institutions that are, that are usually analyzing these things aren't being consulted or, or, you know, or anything. And, and that's, that's really going to be the thing. So, so, you know, what, do you have any ideas about how we can deal with that other than just like putting our heads down, making sure we win this election and, 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 you know, um, grind the clock out? Yes. With this election, write good legislation, grind, run the clock out, but that could be 30 or 40 years. Just make, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like that's a long clock. <laughs> right. But ultimately, I mean, but ultimately the ability of the Senate to, to affect this is going to be the Supreme court. And let's pray daily for Ruth Bader Ginsburg you know, <laughs> for her continued robust health and yep. uh, see if we can run this clock out to, to November. I think we're good. But beyond that, I don't know. And that's why, that's why I'm getting rid of McCall. It's absolutely imperative. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, 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 I want to talk about, uh, uh, you know, elements of your, of your platform that are not UBI in a minute, uh, <laughs> because uh, the, uh, the markets are tanking, historically today like literally right now right 
they're uh, uh, going down faster than they went in 08. Uh, they stopped uh, uh, trading globally. They stopped futures trading overnight. Uh, they had to stop trading first thing uh, uh, this morning. Um, and it stabilized a little bit, but stabilized a little bit, still down 1,400 points or whatever the hell it is. So, did the uh, computer gates, uh, did the program gates kick in? I mean, the trading? Yes, it stopped it automatically. Okay. Nine, nine minutes into the market, it stopped. Um, and, you know, the biggest question was is if it was going to happen again, right? And that's going to be, I think, 13%, uh, which is, I, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Uh, but either way, this, this, the, the only other time that's ever been triggered was uh, back when they used to track it by points, not percentage. The S&P went down, uh, uh, um, I think it was 87 or, or uh, 97, sorry, uh, by 500 points, which was a much smaller percentage drop than it is now. So this is basically the first time that the circuit breakers have been uh, have been tripped uh, like this, um, and you know again this is worse than than oh seven oh eight. Um, this is quite likely the the worst and fastest drop that we've seen since the Great Depression. Um, so you know, could you speak to that a little bit, and then and then honestly, like maybe tie UBI back in because I think that's that's something you know, especially with your planning chops uh, as far as being the military planner for for uh, uh, South Korea or, or, or that area. Um, you know, how do those things all tie together? Well, the, uh, you know, a lot of at the root of it is the fact that, you know, we've moved people off of retirement programs and into 401ks and things like that. And, and so what used to be something that someone could count on, you know, like social security, you know, we could, we could count on X, you can go today and type your social security number in and, you know, type in the year you think you're going to retire and it will tell you how much comes every single month. And mm -hmm. so moving people particularly folks, uh, even unionized workers from retirement plans to things that are tied to the market, um, I think probably made them prone to big promises of, you know, you judge my presidency on how well the stock market is doing. But, but the reality for many people in Kentucky is the fact that they do not have a stock portfolio. You know, they're not, they're not going to retire on a 401k. You know, they're banking on Social Security, and that's going to be what gets them through, you know, index. And uh, so, I mean, going to ask your question about planning, you know, planning, um, a robust planning process, you come up with a lot of different courses of action, and then you run a red cell against them, which is people who just, their job is to just run everything against your plan that could possibly go wrong. And then, you know, it's, it's a sobering when you come up with a great plan and all of a sudden experts come in and go, oh yeah, what about this? Oh yeah, what about that? You're like, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Right. So, I mean, I, the thing about the thing about UBI, particularly in like a rural area and and in a depressed urban area, is that it provides people the insulation that they need to stop them from losing their home if there's an economic downturn. Stops them from losing their home or their car, their Ill, their ability to get to work if they have a sickness in the family. Because, uh, you know, at the same time, the stock market is tanking. Mitch McConnell's promising to tear out the ACA root and branch. You know, we moved uh, 340,000, I think, Kentuckians that did not have any health insurance onto insurance with ACA. And so McConnell feels like, I mean, he's so bold that he is promising in public to destroy it. You know, a third of a million of his constituents or more um, and take their health care away. Again. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's why I like that's well. That's why I like I like UBI because UBI provides that provides that insulation. And if, and if anything, if things go bad, it protects people at a local level. Um, and I, I probably tend to talk about being a farmer too much, being in a rural area. But there are a lot of things that are linked to small farms. And there's biodiversity, uh, there's food security, 
there's employment and uh, we're not working, you're not counting on this global supply chain to get food, you know, you know, just in time shipping into the Walmart. That that's, I mean, we've all been to a large supermarket the day after Thanksgiving and it's empty yeah. or, the, or the day before a big, big snowstorm. The, the reason I like UBI is because money is injected local economy, encourages small businesses and de-emphasizes the global supply chain that creates a vulnerability. And that's the kind of thing that a red cell would tell you like, Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> let's shut down your airports for a couple of days. Let's shut down. Let's take out, let's take out, we have a bridge. All right. We have a bridge here between uh, Northern Kentucky, Covington, Kentucky and Cincinnati. Um, 4% of the gross national product crosses that bridge. 4% of one single little bridge. And the thing has fallen down. Wow. And, uh, right. And so talk about putting your eggs in a basket. Um, but that's why I like uh, that's why I like UBI because it emphasizes local, local, local. We all know that money. I mean, it's we don't know this. It's proven that money that's injected into a local economy, not the local Walmart, but local economy, stays in the local economy mm-hmm. longer. And another that's another thing I like about it. As far as want to have a resilient economy and a strong environment, that's why I support UBI. Yeah, I feel like I feel like if we were like five or even ten years down the road, you know, because UBI, I've been I've been yelling about UBI for a few years. Obviously, Yang getting on the stage uh, the way the way that he has 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 uh, has driven it into the Overton window, which is amazing to me. And and you know, here we are talking about it, uh, which is really really important. Um, but it seems like if it was five or ten years from now, it would be obvious to so many more people that instead of doing what they're going to do, which is handing hundreds of billions of dollars to short positions on Wall Street, which is the, all that's going to go to, it's like it's not going to change the fundamentals of the market at all. Uh, you could be doing that on the, on on the ground floor and actually helping people and supporting the economy at the same time. Um, so I guess the the, the I. I I want to give you mad props for the, the red cell thing. Cause I, you know, we talked to politicians a fair amount and that part of the planning is not in it anywhere near as much, right? Like how, you know, having, having a group of really smart people come in to try and blow your ideas up is so clutch. Um, but could you, could you maybe speak to that? Cause you were talking about uh, uh, the supply chain. Uh, um, I'm looking at the economic impacts of, of the coronavirus right now. Um, I've got uh, uh, reports in from, from people taking video of uh, the LA port, for example which is a ghost town. It's one of the biggest ports. Wow. Yeah. Biggest wow. ports in the, in the world. And, and it's a complete ghost town. Uh, I got a report an hour ago that the, uh, the head of the, uh, uh, the New York port authority just came you know, with the virus. So, oh, I mean, yeah. So, so this is, this is the very, very beginning of a fundamental problem like in, in supply chain disruption that we've never seen before. So, you know, uh, what are, what are your thoughts on that? And, 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 you know, how, how could you see us sort of trying to ameliorate the damage from that? And also, like, I'm not even sure there is an answer to this. So I just want to throw this at you. Anyway. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, you know, when I was running a newspaper and I, I, my wife was our public health preparedness planner, uh, we would work in uh, <laughs> we would work in close uh, uh, conjunction and getting some ideas across the public. And you know, I had this uh, thing I used to run every week, this column I ran every week in a little corner, which was ten weeks to preparedness and. Uh, so for $10 a week, um, I will always put something that you could buy at, um, at uh, the dollar store or Walmart or wherever the people shop, whether it was, okay, this week you're going to buy a case of water and four, you know, four cases of ramen. That's $10. Or you're going to buy, you know, you're going to buy. So it was just this rolling thing. And, you know, even to this day, my, my friends would say to me and neighbors would say, what the hell am I supposed to do with all this stuff? And I said, keep it in the closet. 
And well, now they know what they can do with it <laughs> if things get disrupted. But I mean, we're talking about something that goes, you know, I think back then uh, when we were looking at pandemic flu, we were thinking, well, there might be 10 days of social distancing before the government can really kick in and provide relief. And I really wasn't looking at a huge disruption in the, in the uh, global food chain. I mean, luckily we're a, uh, luckily we're a very resource rich country and we have pretty large stockpiles, but I mean, we shouldn't be breaking into them. Um, people need to be planning now to, to at least stick it out for a couple of days at home by themselves or a week or so at home. And I might break out those old, uh, 10 weeks to prepare those things. It might be too late to start sharing them, but it was a, uh, you know, but this is something that we, that, that we thought about a lot. In fact, my, uh, after my wife got called back to the Marine Corps Reserve to write the Marine Corps Reserve's plan for pandemic flu planning. And wow. she worked down in New Orleans for months uh, because there's two things. It's like, one, how do we protect our force? What do we do? What do we need to do to protect our force? And then what are we going to do as the Marine Corps Reserve to go out and provide relief to the country? Yeah. And uh, it was quite an elaborate process and an awful lot of... So I thought about this a lot, but... Right. I mean... I, I mean I don't know how things are going to go over, like enforcing social distancing. Like, I, what would happen in this country if, like, they did in northern Italy, which was basically, or in Wuhan, you know, put fifty six million, put fifty six million people in lockdown. It's kind of not in the Ameri- America's character to go right. And and if we if we don't, <laughs> it's you know, right. Right. not good for grandparents. Well, co- <clears throat> co- co- Corey co- thinks that the the economy is going to go in the toilet. I'm more skeptical about that. If it does, I hope it happens before the election because right now Trump is going to get reelected. I mean, I, I hate to you know be cynical about it, but an incumbent president with a an economy that's doing well, wages are even up. Um, wages are up a lot for um, for low skill laborers. They're actually up the most. Um, so in a way, he kind of has been championing the working class people who put him there. Um, he, he's making those of us who care about what I would say are more important and more fundamental values than just the short term of the economy really uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard to get him out. M- Mike, why do you think that Kentuckians who are mostly Democrats keep electing McConnell? I, I, you know, I think we've kind of failed as a party to give him a good alternative. Um, okay. You know, we, we've run good-hearted people against him um, who were just kind of just a little bit to the left of him. And mm-hmm. uh, haven't given people reasons to be excited. You know, if the choice is between Mitch McConnell and a Republican light, they're going to vote for Mitch McConnell or they're not going to vote. And that's part of it, too, is giving people uh, something exciting to vote about. And so, I mean, if you take a look, at uh, election maps, the only time we really put a lot of blue on the map is 2008 and 2012 when Barack Obama was on the ticket. He had that transformational vision of leadership. You know, he had a vision for a better America. He was great at communicating it. And I'm not in any way comparing myself to him, but I do have a transformational model in my head about what we can, you know, what we should, what we can look like. And so uh, my goal has been from the beginning is A, is not to run as a Republican light, but to run as a straight out, you know, on big D democratic values and not be embarrassed about it. You know, not mm-hmm. be embarrassed to say, I absolutely support women's reproductive rights. That could be, you know, 
It could be a kiss of death. And people tell me that in Kentucky, you know, mm-hmm. say, they say that alone, or, um, you know, I, I believe in the gun sense values, you know, instant background checks and red flag laws and stuff like that. And again, this is a very, very pro gun um, state. What I'm gambling is, is that uh, not being embarrassed to talk about those things and talking with people about them honestly, um, talking with people honestly about them will go a long way. Um, you know, I've had a couple experiences here where people have challenged me on, on uh, you know, pro-life or pro-choice. I just tell them, you know, absolutely, pro-choice. And the response I get is, well, at least you're not lying to me. You know, mm. this is in Kentucky where people have been lied to a long time. I mean, I well, and they've probably been programmed to think that if it's a Democrat and they say they're not pro-choice, that they must be lying. That's exactly. part of it. Exactly. Like, and they want, to, they want to think that they can at least trust their representative. Right. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't want to be a Republican who has to head out to coal country and tell them they're going to bring coal back again. Because people, you know, coal miners, people in Appalachia and our Western coal fields are not buying that one again. And I would bet you dollars to donuts that, uh, you know, you're not going to see Mitch McConnell in, in Harlan County, Kentucky, or uh, out in Pike County, because they, you know, this, this, this lie that we're going to bring coal back has just been sold over and over and over again to people who are living really close to the edge uh, economically and environmentally. They're not so it them. sounds like Kentuckians are more like socially conservative, but fiscally progressive? Is that what, how you would characterize the average person in your state? Well, people in Kentucky are very proud of, to, you know, common sense. That, mm-hmm. That's one thing you'll hear over and over and over again. I might not be X, but I have common sense. And I mm-hmm. think uh, just appealing to, you know, uh, they, they have a keen sense of fairness and they, uh, they, you can appeal to their common sense. And, you know, you're um, talking about the, People who've seen particularly low low wage earners have seen an increase. Not necessarily so much in Kentucky, but okay. I, I, the name well the name I've come up with in my head for is bottom liners. And uh, you know we have we have a guy I know here who's got to go to Canada twice a year to get his insulin. And despite because he's a, he's self insured, he's a small businessman. So after going to Canada twice a year to buy his insulin, he still saves six thousand dollars. And so in his head, I have $6,000 more at the end of the year, so I am fine with the system. Uh-huh. It hurts yeah. my brain, but he looks at his, as a small businessman, he looks at his business, his bank, his books at the end of the year and says, I have saved this much money. Uh-huh. Right. And under Donald Trump, I'm making, I have more money this year than I did the previous year. Therefore, everything is fine. And that is right. a metric for, for making their decision. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, that uh, I mean that that kind of short-term thinking distilled is how we're getting you know uh, Trump trying to win every single news cycle by just screaming fake news when the market has the worst downtime since uh, uh, since the Great Depression. Uh, so I, the you know obviously I, I think you would be extremely well positioned to uh, uh, to go up against Mitch McConnell, especially now. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've heard Mitch McConnell has a lot of negatives just out in the national polling area and, and Democrats from all over the country will send you money at a ridiculous clip. Um, none of that matters unless we win the primary. So how, how is the primary race going um, and how are you feeling uh, uh, positioned uh, and sort of what's your game plan to win? There, there are, um, there's a lot of people. And in, in fact, Mitch McConnell, I think has seven Republicans running against him. Really? Uh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, including a doctor from my little town here in Stanford, Kentucky. All right, good luck to that doctor. Yeah, so we have two senatorial candidates from the same little burg in uh, in Kentucky. But uh, so there are ten there are ten Democrats running, three 
you could, uh, including myself, uh, are probably considered the, you know, the, the front runners. Mm-hmm. Uh, but far and away, there's, there's one candidate who's been chosen by the DSCC. Uh, she was recruited very heavily by Chuck Schumer, and she's just raised gobs of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but at the same time, uh, she's really kind of hurt herself. Uh, she ran as a very, uh, she ran in 2018 in sixth congressional district and got beat there as a really? progressive. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. As a liberal okay. progressive. And then she's running now as a kind of pro Trump moderate. And uh, during her rollout, did uh, you say pro Trump moderate? Yes. Yes. Uh, tell me more about that, please. Well, it's a strategy. You know, it's you're trying to pick off the. No, the, no, no. What is she? What is she doing that is that that suggests that she's like actually running as a pro-Trump moderate? Well, other than saying it. Oh, um, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. Thank you, sir. Well, um, I, I, all right, we're done here. No, no. Hey, so, show uh, over. During her rollout, she <laughs> during her rollout, uh, she was asked about uh, Brett Kavanaugh. She yeah. said she would have voted to see Judge Kavanaugh. Um, that uh, she also said on the record that she thought that uh, Mitch McConnell was stopping Donald Trump from draining the swamp. Um, wow. Okay. So yeah, but that is okay. not that does not stop people from across the country from sending her millions and millions and millions of dollars. They probably don't know that, right? Like that. Like I have dem- I have Democratic friends right now that are all about Amy McGrath because they because they haven't heard that at all. Um, and believe me, on my on my other show, I'm going to be screaming that from the rooftops because I can see how that would be a useful strategy in a state where Trump is popular. Hopefully, once she's in, she will turn out to have been lying the whole time. I mean, what's the point of getting McConnell out if you're just going to have another person who's enabling the man who's attacking our democracy? That's the thing. You, that, that shouldn't allow you to pass a Democratic primary. That makes no sense to me, even in Kentucky. Now, how, Mike, how about you speak to that? Because we don't live there. <laughs> well, it's, uh, well, for me, and listen, I, I don't want, I'm not, I didn't want to say her name, but you asked about her, but, you know, you're either a, you're either a very liberal person or you're kind of middle road moderate. It, yeah. You can't change in two years. I don't see, I don't see how you can fundamentally and honestly change your platform in two years other than, you know, to be self-serving. And so, so for me, you know, I'm, I just turned 58 and uh, this is it. I have no future plans. I'm not running for any other office. I don't want to be anything else. I mean, I already have a job that I like a great deal. Um, but uh, I, I figured when I, when I started that the best thing to do was just be myself and run the things that I believed in and kind of let the, and communicate it as effectively as possible and try to win people over on either that I'm correct or at least I'm honest about it. And that's, that's my strategy. I mean, I think the fact that you're a farmer and that you're ex-military and that you're authentic and that you have UBI, that might do it for you. I can see that working there. And I'll tell you, I also substitute teach. (laughs) So I worked, you know, I haven't done it so far this year because I've been campaigning, but uh, you learn a lot about a community and the struggles people face by seeing their kids every day. And uh, here's one for you that that a friend of mine on Facebook pointed out the other day, because they're talking about planning on shutting down schools. A, quite a few kids go home every Friday with a backpack full of food because if they didn't go home with a backpack of the, full of food, they would not eat over the weekend. And that's fact. So literally on Friday afternoons, there's classrooms with little backpacks lined up against the wall. And if kids feel they need it, 
they just swing by and pick it up and take it home. Otherwise, so you close the schools, and this is what one of my social media friends asked the other day, just you know, rhetorically asked the question, who's going to feed those kids now? Because they don't have enough on a good day to have something to eat. Who's going to feed those poor children if we start if we shut down the schools? And the, so, uh, New York School, uh, uh, the New York School Board just said that they're not specifically not going to close schools because there's 116,000 homeless kids that wouldn't eat if they did. There you go. And I mean that you know the, the other side of that is their the, you know their petri dishes now. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a lose-lose situation. Yeah. Well, you just described true. sounds like something from like a developing country to me. It doesn't sound like what we are told the United States of America is like. That's really scary. There's a there's a lady out in eastern Kentucky who's been banging the gong about um, drinking water for the past three years. I mean, she's spending 15 grand of her own money trying to get the fact that they 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 do not have water to drink they don't have enough water volume or quality that you cannot drink the water that comes out of their taps there are people in eastern kentucky this is no joke people in eastern kentucky who are literally capturing water rainwater and boiling it um and and her point is she goes this is not a third world country we should not be we should not be living like this and so to the point where they're actually having a un World Water Day out in rural Kentucky to to focus on the problem of water country that the water quality that it's just you know we aren't a third world country this isn't a problem that we should have yeah having to having to get the uh, the UN into just going like, that's 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 nuts so I know I, I I know we don't have you for too much longer um, you know you were you were you were talking about I, I would love to end on your your positive vision for where you see us being able to take this, like the the best case scenario. I mean, we've gone through all the things that we could be doom and gloom about. There's a lot of them. Um, what's the best case scenario? Like you win um, and, and we get to move into a future that, that is your vision. Well, the, the best case scenario is we get rid of Mitch McConnell. And the very first thing that happens is, is the absolute flood of, uh, of bills that have passed out of the House with bipartisan support come to a floor vote. In, in the Senate, yep. um, because many of them have bipartisan support in the Senate as well. And so I, I cannot imagine that another, even if we don't flip the Senate, I can't imagine that, they, that the next Republican Senate majority leader would want to continue this obstructive and, and accommodating uh, relationship he has with the White House, not any bills forward. So the perfect world is immediately you kick the logjam loose and these bills that have passed, particularly about, you know, Gun safety, violence against women, Paycheck Fairness Act, Pro Act, you know, refund the Black Lung Disability Trust Fund, you know, these things that are just basic human dignity that we kick all those, you know, immediately into high gear and get that passed. But but the next thing is is getting rid of a toxic person like Mitch McConnell. I really hope in this perfect this perfect world in my head is that there are decent people's on people on both sides. You know, uh, Rio, you know, told me that uh, you know former Republican. Um, but there are good people, as we know, obviously, as Rio's sitting here with us, there are good people on both sides. And that I think that this will really empower them to take another look at where they stand about things and say, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah, you know? I'd love to see Romney, um, the, uh, Romney's way of thinking about this become the center of the GOP. And the truth of the matter is they're just using, I mean, apart, apart from the Republicans who are real gung-ho Trump supporters in Congress, the ones who came in with him, um, and who might genuinely believe in him. Honestly, most of them are just using Trump 
to get tax cuts and a few things passed and they can't wait to throw him under the bus. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well guys, listen, I'm getting the high sign from my, uh, from my Yang team here. So <laughs> I think I, we've probably got to wrap it up. Hey, thank you so much for having me on guys. And I'd love to come back if you're ever interested in talking. Yeah. To this was uh, fun. Yeah, absolutely. We, we would definitely uh, love to have you. And, and quite frankly, just speaking for myself, I hope you, excuse me, kick the fuck out of Mitch McCollum in general. Uh, <laughs> well, when you win the primary, we'll have you on again to talk about how to win the general. Thanks for your And in the meantime, great. we'll ask our, our uh, listeners to send you lots of money to help you do so. Okay. Mike for yes. ky.com. Mike, F-O-R-K-Y.com. At Blue. They know how to do it. I would appreciate anything. And the most important thing, too, is to spread the word because the the – the belief is that there is not a primary in Kentucky. And that is coming from the DSCC. Yeah. We've already picked our candidate, but there is a very, very primary in Kentucky. And with your support and the support of your friends, I'm going to win it. So thank you so much. Great. Mike Breyer. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. It was great. Great. Have a good one. Thank you. Hey, Rio, you want to say it? Do it. Humanity first is our gumbo. Nailed it. Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Rio and I are so excited that the Humanity First movement is moving forward. Something you can do to help is go to movingforwardpod.com where you can find us on social media, read our blog, and support us on the Patreon. Right, Rio? Right. Um, we can't hear you. How about now? Oh, yeah. okay. There you are. Is that a Banksy behind you? <laughs> That's a Banksy. Oh, Very fuck it a. All right. What do you what, what do you do when you uh, remodel your kitchen? Then you get your spray paint out. Nice, <laughs> nice. Um, that's uh, that's awesome. Well, uh, uh, good morning, sir. Could we could we do the uh, like change the angle on the camera a little bit? Uh, what, oh, like that? Per- my yeah, take? perfect, perfect. I mean, the, the perfect shot of the Banksy was good. Uh, <laughs> that was that was that was pretty fun. Uh, so, man, thank you so much for uh, uh, for coming on. We'll we'll, we'll get started in uh, in a couple minutes here. We just wanted a, a okay. second to, to say hi and uh, you know glory in your in your Banksy. <laughs> where, where are you guys at? Um, I'm down in Florida and uh, Rio over in California. All right, we're in Cali. I'm in uh, La Jolla currently. Oh, beautiful La Jolla. Mm-hmm. I was stationed in Coronado for three years. So. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Great. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Hey, uh, we're, I'm getting some negative <laughs> feedback on having the Banksy in the background. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. If you guys, if you guys want, if you guys want to move, that's cool. Apparently it sends the wrong image. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's awesome, but okay. Fair enough. Um, all right. I mean, that is a fairly revolutionary image. I can understand why your advisors wouldn't want that. <laughs> well, it's surprising the number of people say, oh, are you Antifa? I'm like, yeah, I'm throwing big bunches of flowers at people. <laughs> That's, yeah. You're just an art fan. <laughs> that, that whole people being scared of Antifa, I just want to show them pictures of D-Day because every single one of those people was an anti-fascist. So, hmm. <laughs>